verses 1 through 8. It's commonly known as the little apocalypse by Mark. Listen for the word of God as it touches your hearts, your minds, and your souls. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he. And they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Charles Dickens wrote a tale of two cities. One of the famous quotes of all times. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. Maybe it was the text today, but that kept coming to mind. Maybe it was all the folks that are in the hospital. Maybe it was all the angst that's all above us and hovers around us. I don't know. I don't know. I was telling a person before the worship service that this sermon that you hear today has morphed about 12 different times. I wrote 12 different sermons before I came up with this. It doesn't look, any, it doesn't look like anything that it began with. It doesn't sound like it. It's not even close. But that's the way the Holy Spirit works sometimes. I found myself walking around this week really looking at people, listening to them and observing them. Those passing me by in the grocery store, driving beside me on the highway, filling my social media feeds, walking in the hallways of the hospitals, looking at the patients and the nurses, the doctors, the workers, the greeters, the family members. I tried to really see them. I tried to look beneath the surface of the facade that they all wore, to imagine the invisible burdens that they might be carrying beneath it. Sick children, relational collapse, financial tension, crippling depression, profound grief, crisis of faith, loss of purpose, 
or maybe just the custom design multitude of the nagging insecurities and fears they've been carrying around, perhaps even since grade school, and they've never been able to shake it. As I looked at all these folks this week, I wondered what kind of specific and personal hell they were experiencing, the battles that they might be enduring or trying to weather. And it reminded me, so I'm reminding you, that the end is closer than you think. Although the timing is different for each and every one of us, life is stunningly short and it's an eggshell fragile. That's what life is, it's eggshell fragile. I don't care if your life has been for five months, five years, 50 years, or 120. One Sunday, you can be sitting in the pew, laughing, joking, perhaps stoic, perhaps crying, and the next morning, you lie in ICU, fighting for your life hanging by a thread and envisioning what the end of the world, your world, is going to be. The one that's in turmoil. And perhaps your end of time is approaching quicker than you can imagine or that you want it to be. I met most people's eyes this week and felt the realization that most people, most people are really having a tough time. Deep down, the folks are almost always more, there, there's more pain that I or we think they are in. Everyone is doing the very best that they can to get through the day. And many are going through all manners of horrors in the process. No one is immune from the invasive collateral damage of living. As we engage the folks in their personal end, the personal end of time, the task is at hand is that you and I don't have to save them. That's right, you and I don't have to save them. And you and I don't have to fix them. They want no special recognition. They rarely are asking for such things. These wounded, these weary human beings need most from us is to share personal space and time with them, to listen. It might be holding a hand as they go through the battle. Perhaps it's a hug. Perhaps it's a smile. Perhaps it's just a glance. I was reminded by a person at a party a few months ago who had been confined to a wheelchair for almost eight months. After walking around, she had broken both legs. So she needed to be in a wheelchair. She noticed that as she pushed her wheelchair around, people avoided eye contact with her. Even her friends, even her friends didn't look her in the eye. When I heard that, I wondered about it. I thought about it. It's been nagging at me for months. And then I made a conscious effort at the hospital this week, at the stores this week, at the public places, to look folks in the eye as I saw them, as they were in their carts or as they were in their wheelchairs, I wanted to engage them with my eyes. And lo and behold, I received a smile back 
each time. Jesus tells his disciples who marvel at the beautiful, imposing temple that even the institution and edifice that is so big and so established and so powerful that it's not going to stand forever. All will be thrown down. All, all of it. What does Jesus include in all? The temple, yes, it did, it did in 72. It, it fell completely to dust. It was destroyed. But everything else too? Governments? Palaces? Military forts? Impressive corporate headquarters? Historic landmarks? Will all be thrown down? Why? When? How? To what end? What remains? What comes next? We are not unlike the disciples who have a lot of questions about the predicted end of times. Peter, James, John, and Andrew ask Jesus, well, Jesus, when will this be? How will we know this is accomplished? And then Jesus begins a sermon with a warning. A warning to us all, don't go astray. Don't believe messianic impersonators. Jesus warns, don't be led astray. Then he goes straight to the scary and apocalyptic story. He calmly lays out the certain upheaval that's going to happen. The wars, the earthquakes, the civil wars, the natural disasters, the famine. Don't be alarmed, he says. Wars, civil wars, natural disasters, famine. Well, yep, check, 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 check. Yep, I, I can read the headlines, can't you? Can't you see the world news? I can. And see the Jesus' signs of the end of times? Well, they're all emblazed in print or pixels. I confess that sometimes I get alarmed. Every once in a while, I read that stuff and say, and I get alarmed. It need not be so. Even if these are the birth pangs of the new life or a new era, a new God thing on the horizon, I still get alarmed sometimes. I have no idea if these things are the signs for the end of times. But Jesus says, don't worry about that. And if you look at the other Gospels, it tells you only God knows what that time is going to be. So stop worrying about it. But we, for 2,000 years, we've been guessing, we've been waiting for a very long time for it to happen. We've been in labor for a millennia with no pain of relief in sight. All has not been thrown down. How, Jesus, how, Jesus, can we be, not be alarmed? We Christians, I believe, have missed Jesus' point. I believe that today, this very moment is the right time to realize that our focus needs to be on God and our neighbor. I believe that all the angst that is being felt is because we've taken our eye off the prize. We've become distracted. The end is coming for us all. We are all dying. All of us have an end. All will be. But the good news is we don't have to worry about it. We need not worry about the end. We need not be concerned about it. We know not when. We know not how. We know not where. We, we don't know when the moment is going to be. What we have is a moment to love, to care for, to nurture for each other, 
to live like today is the day. We're told in Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, and let us consider how to provoke one another to love and to do good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging, encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. The text gives me hope. That text gives me hope as we prepare for Thanksgiving. Because it's clear that we as Christians have been needed a, a reminder, if you would, that we need to meet together. That we need to love each other. We need to cling to hope. That hope of trusting God's grace since basically the beginning. It's good to know that Christians have forever been as human as we are. It gives us hope that we might survive and change the world for the better, as they did with their hope and faith and works of love. And I believe that's the great news, isn't it? That's what matters. And what will long, long, last long past the eruptions of chaos around the world, grace, faith, hope, and love. And living those things out, living those things out loud, living those things out in our actions and the work of our hands. Friends, this Thursday is Thanksgiving Day. We may be with family and friends, acquaintances, associates, perhaps even strangers. Most of those folks carry a burden that we cannot see or even know of. And I ask you, have you lived life like you were dying? One last word, one last lesson, one last act of kindness, one last. The Philadelphia Phillies won their first World Series in 1980 when Tug McGraw struck out Willie Wilson. It was a grand and glorious day. I have scarred knuckles to show it as I jumped and hit the ceiling. My friend, who also jumped up, has scars in his other hand as he went through a light fixture. Philadelphia was jumping up and down. It was the first World Series in their lives. Tug McGraw instantly became a hero, a celebrity, a household name in Philadelphia. In 2003, Tug found out that he had brain cancer. The word took a collective city's breath away. In January of 2004, Tug passed away. His son, Tim, you might know, Tim McGraw, a country music star, sung these words. I'm not gonna sing it. It was in my early 40s. I was in my early 40s with a lot of life before me, and a moment came that stopped me on a dime. I spent most of the next days looking at the x-rays, talking about the options, talking about the sweet time I asked him when it sank in that this might really be the real end. How's it hit you when you get that kind of news? Man, what did you do? He said, I went skydiving, went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And I loved deeper, I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness that I'd been denying. He said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. 
He said, I was finally the husband that most of the time I wasn't. And I became a friend of a friend that you would love to have. And all of a sudden, going fishing wasn't an imposition. And I went three times that year before I lost my dad. And I finally read the good book. And I took a good, long, hard look at what I'd do if I could do it all over again. I'd live like tomorrow was a gift. And you've got eternity to think about it. What you do with it, what you could do with it, what did I do with it, what would I do with it, man? I went skydiving, Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. I loved deeper. I spoke sweeter. And I watched an eagle as it was flying. And someday, I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. At the end of the day, so many of the grieving, struggling, fearful human beings filling up the landscape, we find ourselves today hanging by the thinnest of thread. We really are. Perhaps it's even you. I urge you to live life like you're dying. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love your friends. Love your enemies. Be kind to all of those around you. And give thanks to God that your sins have been forgiven and you have an eternal home right alongside because he gave us the greatest gift of all, his son. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we do give you great thanks for that son. We give you great thanks for family and friends, for associates. And dare I say, Lord, that we give great thanks for enemies. For it gives us the opportunity, Lord, to preach your word, to reflect your face, to do the things and ministries that you have called us all to do. And gracious God, we do give you great thanks for everything that you give us. And it is in your son's name that we pray. Amen.